Hi, welcome to the Alex Zamoy podcast. And we have tonight Ms. Nicole Lewis, licensed clinical social worker. Nicole, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Uh, long day, but you know, I'm good, blessed. I know that's right. Same, same. I'm above ground, so that's always a good day. All right. So, Nicole, uh, both Alex and I are physical therapists, and um, we primarily practice in the home health setting. So, we have defined our niche. We've never received any backlash from any consumers for specializing in treating patients in the home, and we've never had any issues with our professional organization for saying so. However, you recently declared that you are going to specialize with just treating black women and you got a severe backlash. So take us on that journey. Ooh, okay. Um it's it's been a lot, it's been a lot um um you know, I initially, you know, I initially, you know, I did, I looked at it, you know, and that turned into, that turned into a lot of people were being arrested because I wasn't willing to speak to them anymore. Um, so, uh, it's been a wild ride. Um, still upset. I'm still getting a few emails. Um, it's been about a month now. Um, threatening phone calls. Stop, stop. Um, and the uh, you know, Google reviews about it. So, uh, it's getting better, but it, it's still uh, kind of disturbing. Has has anybody has, Nicole, has told you why they're upset? Why? Like, what what is like, it about, what is it about not wanting to treat treat men, black or white, men, or, or just white, wanting or to treat just black women that has got people so upset? Got people so upset. Um. Um, I believe they're I upset because I'm discriminating. I can't say for sure. Um, from what I've read, read, heard, from videos that people made, you know, it's not right. You know, it's not right. Males, males. And I tried to educate. You know, we do and we can, you know, we can, you know, we can, you I mean, it's pretty interesting, yeah, it's pretty as, interesting. as Mo mentioned, you know, being physical therapist, we, we all naturally gravitate, gravitate towards a specific demographic, right? Now, some may argue that we should be able to treat everybody, but do we want to treat everybody? To treat I don't everybody? think any don't therapist think can any honestly therapist say here that they want to treat everybody. Um, we're, um, we're in we're, we're people, in people business. business. And what we and do, what we, we have do, to we relate have to, to that human being, that human even being, on a physical therapy level, therapy level, to be able to really be able to impact, impact them in a meaningful way, not only physically, but emotionally, mentally. I mean, I always joke with some patients, like, you know, I also wear the mental health therapist, even though I've never done anything officially in that capability. Because again, when you're dealing with a human being, whether it be a physical ailment, emotional, mental, whatever, like you have to connect with them as a whole. 
So to say that, hey, I think for you to say, I should say that you feel that that connection that you have and the ability to really make an impact on somebody, in this case, is going to be the black woman. Um, I just don't necessarily see the problem with that. You know, I can understand where people would get upset, but we're not. We're not. For everybody, for everybody, right? You know, we always say, say therapy. Not every patient is our patient, patient. right? Because I can't impact some some people the way that I may be better able to impact others. I would feel like I'd be doing a disservice to that individual if I can't provide them a service that is going to impact them and value them at the highest possible level. You know, and I feel like, and I feel like. Possibly in today's society, society, tend to be real quick to be upset about something, to anger, and to cancel people too. Yeah, you know, in reading through your Twitter timeline, I found a lot of similarities in your approach to life and my approach, and what we can can back this up. Like, I'm the type of person that I just don't care what. What anybody really says, feels, or, or does in relation to me. You know, I always tell, I always use the, the phrase 4011. Um, it's the number of my address and it, it signifies, and I tell this to my wife and my kids as they're growing and, and I put Mo as well. It's like, you don't live under my roof. I really don't care what your opinion may be. And, and that goes for family as well, as much as I love them. Like, you don't live under this roof. Your, your opinions don't really have that big an impact. And I know that, again, from reading your, your Twitter timeline, that, that it's been an approach of yours. It's like, stop caring so much about other people and look inside to make sure that number one is taken care of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 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 it isn't any of my business. Um, um, but, you know, I hate but, that. You know, I hate that. Um, 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 negative. negative. I, I didn't see it that way. Um, of course, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's different. As a therapist, I'm not my you know, I'm setting boundaries, setting boundaries. And like you say, like you specialize, don't want to help. Or we don't want to work with because we may not be able to help them as a family as we could. We specialize, we have more training in that area. Um, you know, a medical doctor, you know, or heart problems. We're not going to go to psychiatry. Somebody like that, and so that's what we're doing. And I, I don't know, we're just, um, not aware that we're allowed, um, or that we're actually instructed to do these things, um, because we want to be able to help as many people as possible. Um, but for those males that you know, I'm not able to see, I do encourage them to see someone. It's just not me. It's not a good fit for me. 
um, and it wouldn't be a good fit for them because um, I think I would be causing them harm if I was to work with them um, and I'm not as focused or, you know, I don't know as much about them because we also have to be culturally competent. And that also means gender as well. Um, and so if I don't understand some of them as much as I do with other clients, I'm going to refer them out or I would rather them see someone else who can better understand them and better help them um, because we all deserve quality care. And if I can't give that to them, you know, it wouldn't be right for me to take them on as clients. No, absolutely. I mean, I think part of some of the, you know, the medical oath and, and things that I feel like in each of our professions we take on is like, do no harm, right? Yeah. Like, we're not here to, to harm individuals, uh, knowingly or not knowingly, you know, our, our, our job is to try to help these individuals in, in the best way that we can. But backing up a little bit, like, tell us about Nicole, who she was and how she got to the point of being, you know, the licensed social worker and then making the decision as to, okay, now I've kind of figured out that in my profession, this is the, tr the, the track, the lane that I want to start and stay on. So um, I originally wanted to be a psychologist, um, just like Dr. Wong on Law and Order SVU. My mom had me watching that when she would do my hair all the time. So I wanted to be just like him because his job looks so interesting. So me as an 18 year old, I thought I knew everything. And I went off to college and registered for my classes. And they told me that they did not have a psychology program. So this is like my first day on campus. And I didn't know, you know, what to do. And someone suggested, you know, try social work. And so I was ignorant to, you know, what social work was. I assume like a lot of people do that social workers only, you know, work for child protection services. And so I said, well, that's not something, you know, that I want to do. And they were like, no, you can do therapy as a social worker, too. And I was like, what? Um, so I went that route because I didn't have any other choice. Um, but it was actually the best thing that could have happened. Um I really love, you know, working in this field. It's, it's been a great joy. Um, so I still became a therapist, just not a forensic psychologist. Um, and I could still do forensic work, you know, if I you know, decided to specialize in that. Um, but I don't. I specialize in working with Black women who are overcoming perfectionism. And um, that is my specialty because I, too, am a recovering perfectionist. So I really understand these women who are dealing with these things and thinking that, you know, we have to do everything for everybody. We have to do it a certain way. And if we don't do it the right way, then we're hard on ourselves. So that's how I got here. Um, I really want to focus more on that population um, because a lot of uh, Black women are overlooked um, when it comes to this, um, we think that, you know, Black women are so strong and they're not dealing with anything. But inside, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of anxiety uh, happening because we want to make sure that everyone is okay and we need to be worrying about ourselves. So what moved you to start your own business? Oh, that's a good one. So um, I was kind of pushed into private practice. Um, I wanted to start a practice, but I was kind of like, no, nah, I don't think I have enough experience. So I started my business, but I never like launched the practice. So it was just sitting there. Um, and then COVID happened um, and I had some 
issues with my last employer. I was working in assistant living facilities. And as you know, with, with COVID, those those places were hit the hardest. So um, we weren't allowed to go in there. Um, I was doing therapy in, in five different facilities um, and all of them, you know, weren't allowing me inside. So I had a lot of time on my hands, but I was still getting paid. So I, you know, I still had your problem. I know, right? Um, and so I had all this time on my hands. Um, but then I'm like, okay, it's been like two or three months. At some point, they're gonna stop paying us. Um, and that that's what happened. They, you know, restructured, did all kinds of things. Um, but while I was waiting at home, I was like, you know what? There's all these things going on in the community. Um, you know, in 2020, there were a lot of um Unfortunately, there were a lot of Black people who were harmed um, by police. And so, you know, uh, there was a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma going on. So I decided that this was the time to start my practice. Um, I wasn't, you know, going out to work. I was at home. So I might as well do it now. I have the funds to do it. I still have I still have an income. Um, so I decided to launch um, Legacy Wellness Services on June 10th, 2020. And I offered free services for six weeks to black adults. Um, and it was, it was awesome. I loved it so much. And I was able to, you know, help some people and um, work through some things. Um, some of it was fast tracked because, you know, they weren't able to see a therapist otherwise. So, um, you know, it was a little bit different for me. Um, I had never worked for myself before. Um, so I did see those clients and a lot of them I kept on after that. Um, but that's how I ended up in private practice. I wanted to help my community because there was a lot of um, trauma being shown on social media all the time. Um, and we needed a lot of support. Uh, and we still do. Where are you located? I am located in Mississippi. Okay. So the South. Yes. <laughs> so how, what kind of feedback have you gotten since you, since you went into, into private practice? Um, mostly good. Um, people were pretty shocked. Um, the people who've known me since I was a child, they're like, you're the person who people talk to. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, some people just think of you as still a young child if they watched you grow up. Um, but other than that, you know, all good vibes. People uh, know that I'm a person that, you know, people usually would talk to anyway. So they're like, well, I, I saw that coming. Um, and then outside of that, it seems like strangers tend to support you more than maybe your family and friends, or maybe they show it more. Um, so there was a lot of support, especially, you know, being able to provide services to our communities um, at no cost. Um, people were very, very excited about it. And, you know, it led to all kinds of opportunities for me and for uh, people who needed help. So I'm really happy about it. I'm, I'm glad I went that route. Did you grow up in Mississippi? I did. I moved to Biloxi, Mississippi when I was six because my dad was in the military. Okay. So what advice would you give to therapists or even other healthcare professionals who just sitting on the putt, not wanting to get off and start their own practice? What's the best advice you could give them? Oh, um, do it scared. Um, there's never going to be a right time to start. Um, and that, you know, plays into perfectionism. If we're thinking we have to start at a certain time, I have to get this, this, and this done. 
Um, of course, we have to have, you know, a few things done, you know, start, you know, uh, open up the business and pay a couple of fees, things like that. Make sure you know, you're in regulation. But outside of that, there's not going to be a right time. So you might as well just do it. People need your services. Um, and I say if we're not giving our services to people who may need it, that might be kind of selfish of us. Um, because, yeah, yeah, I see it. Uh, that might be kind of selfish if we're not sharing our gifts with people um, who may need it, um, especially if it brings us joy. This is not something that, you know, is harming us if we give out our services. Um, so why why keep that to ourselves? Absolutely. It's interesting Absolutely. that you would ask that because most Black women don't like to ask for help. And as you yeah. said, we struggle with perfectionism and people yeah. pleasing. We can't say no. And we overcome it. So failing is not something many people want to do, especially if the rest of the family is relying on them to be that one to take them to the next level. Right. Um, so, yeah, a lot of us do struggle with this. Um, but I find that some women, you know, they DM me. Um, because they're, you know, they don't want to say it on the timeline, like, you know, thank you for sharing this experience or that this thing is happening, um, because I identify with that, um, you know, thinking that they have to be strong all the time, or like you said, you know, thinking they have to be perfect. Um, but perfectionism can also look like procrastination. So for those individuals um, who do want to start a practice, uh, your perfectionism may be showing up as procrastination. Um, so I say, if you're procrastinating or you feel like you got to be perfect, just do it. You'll learn along the way. Um, if you make a mistake, you can correct it and just move forward and fail forward. That's the way that I try to look at it. So with the perfectionism, what, in your opinion, like, where does this come from? Like, how does, right? Because you're saying that as women, this pressure, um, you know, and, and without knowing all of your definition of it like I feel like my wife does the same thing yeah. uh, I feel like you know she's feels like it has to be a certain way and if it's not a certain way then it's not good enough right mm -hmm. so um, for me it's always like supporting her and being like hey no we're good we don't need to do it to that level um, but it's just who she is right mm -hmm. but does that is that something you're born with is that something that you learn, you observe, a combination of it all? Um, because it definitely is something that I see in my wife, but I may not see it in other women, right? And some may say it could be more of a cultural thing. You know, I'm Hispanic, um, so I, I feel like that tends to happen in our culture as well, mm -hmm. where women take on this, this load, right, for the whole household yeah. for for even for the husband um and these things that are kind of expected of them uh so yeah like w in your belief like where does this come from how does this evolve um well it can come from both you know nature and nurture um so from nature it does tend to run in the family um perfectionism is a symptom of anxiety or stress so if you um, have that in your family, they may not identify it as anxiety. They might say, you know, um, you get on my nerves or, you know, my pressure going up, 
stuff like that. If that if you heard your ancestors or your your grandmother, your mom, anybody, or even your dad, because it's not just women. Um, if they are saying things like that, then they probably were dealing with some anxiety. Um, and so it might have been passed down um, through DNA, or it could have been a learned behavior. You know, you're seeing mom always trying to make sure like, okay, this has to be done this way. And if you don't do it that way, you get in trouble for it, even though it's done, but just not done the way she wanted you to do it. Um, it you can learn it like that. So now as an adult, you might try to do these things just like mama used to do it. Um, and you're like, I don't got to do that. So I found myself doing that a lot um, when I first you know, moved out on my own. Um, when I was a child, my mom would not allow us to use the dishwasher. She said you have to wash it by hand because she was like really, really clean. Love that for her. Not my thing. Um, but, you know, she wouldn't allow us to use that. So as an adult living on my own, I found myself washing dishes by hand. And then one day I was like, there's a dishwasher right there. What are you doing? And so <laughs> I used the dishwasher and it felt so funny. I was like, oh, that's probably not clean. Let me go wash them by hand because that ain't right. <laughs> that's perfectionism. Um, that was a learned behavior. I learned that from my mom that I have to wash dishes by hand. Um, so it could be either way. Um, my mom is also a, a pretty anxious person. So it could have been, you know, uh, uh, just passed down to me through the womb as well. But I, I'm not sure. I think it's both when it comes to my family because we had a lot going on. But um, it could be either way for a lot of people or it could be both. Now, is there an instance where the perfectionism could be a good thing? Absolutely. Um, which is probably why a lot of people don't look at it as a problem. So perfectionism um, tends to be complemented, especially in work settings, um, in corporate America or any type of, of work setting. You know, if you're going above and beyond, if you're making sure things are right, if you're double checking, triple checking, that could be uh, perfectionism. But to your boss or your manager, they might say, oh, they get things in. Um, and when it's crunch time, I know I can count on them because we like to say, you know, I work good under pressure. And that is probably accurate, but you could probably work better when you're not under pressure. Um, so we know that people with perfectionism, you can probably depend on them for stuff. If you're in a time crunch, um, if you need something uh, proofread, um, if you need a quick favor, you can definitely depend on people with perfectionism. Usually on the outside, they may look like they're doing a great job. They love what they're doing. They're excited about it. But on the inside, they're like, oh, I hope I get this right. I hope they're not judging me. Um, you know, I hope that I didn't type a mistake on this, on this email. Um, let me reread this just in case one more time. Or let me edit this just to make sure Um so it can look pretty good on the outside and it can definitely be rewarded at work because you're probably doing overtime because you triple checking stuff and you should have went home at five o'clock, but now you're there at 630. So it looks like, oh, they, they love this job. They, they're so into it. But in reality, they're just really anxious. So would you correlate um, people with perfectionism to be seeking external validation in life? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, we want to make sure that other people like us. So, you know, you mentioned people pleasing earlier. It all runs together um, because most of the time we're not trying to be perfect for ourselves. 
like we're not doing that. We're making sure that other people like what we're doing or they're satisfied. Um, you know, we people please when we go above and beyond for others. Um, and we are actually crossing our own boundaries um, that we have actually set or maybe subconsciously set when we people please. We're going above and beyond. We're not um, allowing ourselves to rest. Um, if somebody calls and say they need something, we're jumping right up. Um, so, yeah, it can definitely uh, have a correlation. Um, well, it, it's tough going from a, a people pleaser and setting boundaries because the people who typically benefited from your lack of boundaries can quickly turn around and say, or oh, you change or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. feel like they're losing control over you or um, it's not the same and they can project it on you. So without us going into a therapy session, what are like three quick tips that you could give to people going through something like that? Um, you, you're totally right. Uh, people tend to get upset when you start setting boundaries because they can no longer take advantage of you. Or they may not even know that they're taking advantage of you. Um, they might just be used to you doing a certain thing. Um but so three tips that, you know, somebody can do um, to get over people pleasing. For one, you need to realize what your values are um, because our values drive our decisions. And so, you know, to decide to set boundaries, you need to think about what you value. So that's the first thing. Um, once you figure that out and make a decision on what you want to do moving forward, you can set a boundary. Um, and setting a boundary looks like... Um, I don't know. My friends know that I go to bed at about 1030. So they don't call me after like eight o'clock. That's a boundary. I'm setting the boundary. Do not call me after eight o'clock. I'm not going to answer. If you get mad, that's on you. They ain't got nothing to do with me. I already told you. That's what it is. So that's step number two is setting the boundary. Um, And of course, you need to tell people the boundary. A lot of us uh, tend to think that people can read our minds and say they should have known how. We didn't tell them. Um, So we have to tell them as well. And then a boundary has to have a consequence. It's not just I'm going to bed at eight o'clock. Don't call me. It's if you call me, this is what's going to happen, which is probably um, I'm not going to answer. And, you know, you're going to have to call somebody else. So that is the boundary. That's number two. And the third one is to um, basically uh, reaffirm ourselves, like what I'm deciding is be- what's best for me. So it takes practice. So if someone calls me after eight o'clock and I just set this boundary, I might feel bad about it. Like, oh, I'm not there for them because I'm used to being a people pleaser. And so now I'm feeling a little guilty. Um, I should have, you know, answered their phone call. Um, but should statements usually are irrational. So that's a little small tip. Um, so if we say, I should have done this, like who told us that? We don't have to answer the phone after eight o'clock. So that's the last tip is to, you know, reaffirm yourself and say, I did this um, for myself. This is a healthy boundary. If someone crosses it, that's on them. They don't have nothing to do with me. I'm not going to change it just because they're upset that I didn't answer the phone. So running it back, Nicole, to what happened to you. Um with injuries and even uh, Dawn Stanley saying that the media usually holds black girls or black women to a different standard. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like 
you mentioned that you started your practice too when all the uh, George Floyd stuff was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I feel like black women tend to rally to defend black men or their black kings. But sometimes, in my opinion, it's not reciprocated. Yeah. And yeah. I just wanted to know your take on that. Like the dynamics of black men protecting black women and even women protecting women, whether white or black. Um, yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, it does seem that way that um, there are some black men who you know won't reciprocate that same type of support and protection. Um, so, you know, with these things happening with me online, um, there weren't a lot of black men who, who you know, stepped in and, and said something as far as from what I saw. Um, I didn't read everything but because it was so much. Um, and my therapist tells me not to read the comments. So uh, I didn't read all of it, but I did read. Wait, you're a therapist with a therapist? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet black people don't want to go to therapy? (laughs) Yes, yes. I keep a therapist. Um, Whenever I graduate from therapy, meaning I meet all my treatment goals and objectives, I find a new therapist because there's always work to be done. Well, my therapist that I have now, she can't let me go. We're not going anywhere. We're locked in. Um, She stuck with me. But she tells me, you know, Nicole, if you are going to, you know, have this online presence, um, people are not going to like everything that you say. And so you're either going to be online or you're going to delete everything. And so (laughs) I'm going to stay online. So I don't need to be reading all the comments. But I did read a lot of the things um, because I was just so fascinated that this happened because I think I tweeted originally at like 11 something at night right before I went to bed and then I woke up and um and there was a lot of action going on um but I only saw a few black males say something positive or stand up to me or you know were like responding to people like you know that's not right why would you say that um but there were a lot of you know black men or men of other races um saying some negative things. However, it seemed like it was black males who were saying the most harmful stuff. Um, There were plenty of women of every color, uh, especially black women who were saying, you know, I, I, you know, I support you. Um, But, you know, it it, kind of hurt my feelings that the same people that, you know, I've continued to support that I've provided services to um, that I will always, always support and, you know, fight for, or, you know, saying these ugly things to me because um, I didn't do anything. I, I don't know those people. So, so Nicole, like, I feel pretty confident to say that whenever you made the statement, tweet, whatever, however it happened, like, you legitimately didn't think anything of it, right? Like, you were just like, hey, I'm going to put this out there. Um, and I'm going to bed, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's 1030. Like, don't nobody bother me or whatever. Hey, I'm going to um, point something out as the observant physical therapist that I am. You actually broke your own boundary because you're I supposed did. to be going to bed at 1030, but you tweeted at 11. So I did. <laughs> you are so right. Uh, I did tweet that later. Um, but it was just like, you know, this is just what's on my mind right now. This is mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. You go to bed, you wake up, and it's like definition of viral. Yeah. But um, 
obviously there's some negative, you know, everybody always talks about going viral, right? You've gotten the chance to experience it. Um, and it isn't always the good thing that we either believe it to be or that it's made out to be. Yeah. What, if anything, would you do different? Hmm. What would I do different? For one, I would have went to bed on time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and probably wouldn't have checked my email because um, that's how it ended up happening. I checked my email and I was like, wow, again? Like, why are y'all acting like this? So then I tweeted it and then I was like, let me go to bed. So I went to bed. Um, anything else? I, I, you know, I still stand by what I said. Um, that's just not the population for me. Um, like I said, it would activate my nervous system. Um, so why, you know, why would I subject anybody to that? They don't deserve that. Um, so yeah, I, I said it. I stand ten, to, ten toes down in it. Um, if people dislike that, then th that's their right. Um, but they don't have to follow me if they don't want to. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Again, it, probably easier for myself to understand and, and maybe Mo, I don't want to speak for her, but like, you know, when when you make that statement, let's just say you hadn't meant this statement, right? But you've got mm -hmm. these feelings towards, in this case, men, right? Mm -hmm. And you start working with a male client, like these individuals don't know you from Sally down the street but they're being treated some kind of way by you, not intentionally, yeah. but yeah. they're being treated by you. And now they're, you know, it's probably, it's possible that the feeling is like, man, I came here to get some help with whatever issues I'm dealing. And I feel like what I'm getting from it is more stress mm -hmm. or more of a negative feeling. Right. So then it turns from, man, Nicole is not helping me. Nicole is trash, right? Nicole is a yeah. horrible yeah. therapist. Like people don't, I don't think people can understand or see that because they don't deal with, with patients. They don't deal with clients and trying to help other people. Like you've got to be in a position to be able to help, to be truly impactful for that person and why they're searching for you or, or somebody like yourself. Because right? exactly. if, if I start working with a patient, I'm like, Oh, you know, I hate dealing with hands. Right. I, you know, I, and I don't do outpatient more. I, I'm home health, physical therapist. Mm -hmm. but when I was in, in outpatient, like, I don't want to deal with a hand. Right. You it like you can visibly see it on me that like I don't want to do this. Yeah. Part of my job, but I don't want to do it. So, like, how is that beneficial to the person mm -hmm. who's got a jacked up hand that just wants to get function in their hand better so that they can write, eat and all this other stuff. Right. So. It's real easy, I feel like, for people to say, oh, that's just wrong of Nicole. Like, how dare her say she don't mm -hmm. want a treatment? I'm like, no, she's actually doing a lot of people a favor here, yeah. Yeah. you know, because it's like she can hone in on what she does best and those other people can find the right person for them. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, like, I, th I think we go about our lives and when we, like you mentioned before, when we're too concerned with people pleasing, we end up down this track of doing things that we don't necessarily want to do. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the day, we end up being the bad person anyways. 
mm-hmm. because we're not fully committed to it. And we all know that, you know, if you're not committed to something, you do something half-assed, the result more often than not is going to be a half-assed shitty result. Right. Right. Um, and so with you mentioning, you know, the people pleasing part of it, um, it did seem like the people who were upset with me for what I said wanted me to please them. Um, and that's just not something that I'm willing to do um, because I don't, I don't know these people and I can't please everybody. And that's just not my job. And I think that some people um, believe that since I am a therapist uh, and I'm on social media, that I am being a therapist all the time. Um, and that's just not true. Uh, I am a human. I have real feelings. Uh, and I am, you know, allowed to express myself on my social media. Um, but people, some people just don't see it that way. They expect me to act a certain way, which is definitely not me. Um, you know, I talk about it all the time. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very laid back, uh, kind of different. And I, I know that and I'm not for everybody. Um, but I wish that other people realize that, you know, I don't have to be for them. You can find someone else. There's plenty of other therapists. There's a lot of male therapists who only see men, but I don't see them saying anything to them. So that's kind of strange. Like, why are you coming at me, but you're not coming at all these other people who specialize? So let me ask a question, Um, because you went from sitting on your business to starting it and just having this badass online presence, posting content and do you ever wonder like when you post if people are going to react like negatively besides posting your avatar that you wanted the people that you wanted to treat the stuff the advice that you give do you ever get scared because a lot of professionals are scared to post on social media for that very same thing um i used to uh, get kind of scared because a lot of the things that I say don't align with, you know, my profession. Um, and that's, that's the point for me because I, I want things to change in my profession. Um, there's a lot of things that we could be doing better. Um, so I used to be scared, but now I'm like, this is just who I am. Um, and if that's a problem, uh, then, you know, if I need to handle it professionally, then I will, but um, it hasn't been. Um, a, a lot of people are like, you know what? I never thought about it that way. Maybe we do need to change that. Um, so now when I'm just posting, I just post. I know that there's going to be people who don't like it. Um, pretty much every time I post something now, there's going to be some comments that are negative. Um, and, you know, with Twitter, it kind of like... Um, it doesn't show me all those. It just shows like, you know, show the rest of the tweets. I don't look at them because I already know they're probably negative. Um, and they've already screened them out. But, you know, there's nothing that I can say at this point to, for everybody to like me. That's just not um, what's in me. That's not who I am. And I don't think that I was put on this earth for everybody to like me. I think that I was put on this earth to shake the table and to get people to, you know, think differently about things and reimagine what mental health can look like because it doesn't have to just be one way. What does mental health look like to you as a Black woman, as an independent uh, practice owner? Mental health, um, 
for one, still has a lot of stigma in the black community, in a lot of communities actually, um, but I am trying to break the stigma. So I share a lot about my own mental health struggles and you know, when I see my therapist and what she's shared with me so that you know, maybe someone else can learn from the mistakes that I've made. Um, and so I want people to know that it's okay to see a therapist, it's okay to do self-help, it's okay to watch a TikTok and say, you know what, I identify with that. Maybe I am neurodivergent, maybe I am on the spectrum. I totally, you know, and for that, I know a lot of therapists are like, no, don't do that because it could be wrong, which it could be, but it gives us a place to start. Um, and so I think that there's there's so much gatekeeping when it comes to the mental health field. Like you have to pay all this money to get tested to see if you have ADHD. Um, when there there are a lot of like um, you know self tests that you can take uh, that could help you identify with that. So I I want mental health to change um, because we we should all have access to care. And as you all know in the health field, um, there's a lot of um, gatekeeping and a lot of insurance stuff that comes up and people aren't able to get access to proper care if insurance just decides not to pay for something. I don't think we should have to do that. Uh, I want mental health to um, be accessible to everybody, which is why I'm starting you know, a membership for mental health um, for people who aren't able or Black women who aren't able to see a therapist or if they need just extra support. Good. That's great. So as we mentioned before, Alex and I both treat patients in the home and mm -hmm. we see a variety of possible mental health cases. Mm -hmm. And I honestly believe tied to our outcomes um, for physical therapy is someone being able to overcome their mental health issues. Yeah. So um, how can both professions work together to better improve um, patients receiving both so they can be their best. How do you see that happening? I think there should be, um, you know, some screenings involved. I know that I've been to a couple of doctors um, where they've done some mental health screenings on me. You know, I usually don't tell my doctors what my profession is because I don't want them asking me all these questions. Um, but, you know, they do some screenings and I'm like, oh, these are actually kind of good. I like these. And so I think that all professions can do that. Um, not just in the health profession, you know, there's a lot of um, barbers and hairstylists that can also like have, you know, some screening tools, which a lot of people wouldn't agree with. They're like, they're not licensed practitioners, but those are the people who are hearing these stories. You know, my hairstylist, she knows what's going on with me every time I go to her by looking at my hair strands. So she can see, are you on a new medication? Um, have you been to the pool in the last few weeks? So she can see all this and she knows about me because we just talk freely. So she knows that I can't swim. So if I'm in the pool, I might get scared, which means that my anxiety level goes up. My hairstylist knows that about me. And so if, you know, other professions can do these screenings for people, they can say, you know what, I think you might have a little bit of anxiety or maybe you're stressed. I think you should talk to somebody. So I think we could use, you know, screening tools um, when it comes to mental health, but also when it comes to other health realms, like, you know, physical therapy and things like that, um, therapists can be doing screenings as well. 
Um, I try to make it, you know, a habit to ask a lot of questions about physical health when I'm doing intake assessments with potential clients, um, because, as you know, it all works together. So if they have something going on in their body, if they're having all these pains or, you know, high blood pressure, whatever it is, um, I would like to know that because I need to know that they have doctors to support them. And if they don't have a doctor, the social worker in me comes out and I'm like, okay, let's pause. Let's find you a doctor because you need to see them. Because if you're having these pains, it can also make you feel anxious or cause these stomach aches. So maybe you need to go to physical therapy so that you can work on that to decrease your stress levels. So we all can be working on, you know, screening out other things, asking extra questions and not just for screening, but we need to be doing that to build rapport because, as you know, when we're working with clients, one of the best things we can do for them is have a good relationship with them so they can trust us uh, enough so that we can help them. So that's what I think. We should all be screening for you know different types of health things. It's funny you mentioned the barbershop. I mean, obviously, I think as a male, uh, and obviously it depends what kind of barbershop you're going to and where you go to get a haircut, but... In my experience, um, you go to the barbershop to talk. You go to the barbershop to talk. You know, sometimes in it itself is a, a therapy session, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, me and my barber, we've gotten very close. And I know a lot about his life. He knows a lot about my life. We talk about our stresses and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's a great point um, in trying to get individuals outside of the health profession to help navigate these waters but at the same time, making it okay, making mm-hmm. it okay to go talk to somebody. Um, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned Barbara because my Barbara went through a, a pretty serious uh, situation and, and, and him and I have always been very close. And when I find, found out about this, you know, I made it very clear to him that I was here to support him however he could. I could, um, you know, obviously we have each other's number. I'm like, man, you can call me at any time. It, it really doesn't matter um, what time or what's wrong. Like, you know, we're here to support, I'm here to support you. And, and I think that as a male, even though it's, I'm not your ideal client, um, you know, we still need the support and we need yeah. to tell each other that it's okay, that it is okay yeah. to not be right, that it is okay not to be hundred percent all the time. Right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, like you mentioned the perfectionism and you did mention it happens in males too. Like, I think as a male, um, we have this, we have to provide for our family. Like we have to do it all outside of the home, right? Like the wife and wife stays home. She's the homemaker. She gets the meals, the kids and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And the male has to go out and provide right back in the olden days. They probably went out and hunt bring the food back and yeah. that kind of stuff. Right. So, but talking with other men to say, Oh, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you're having a bad day, it's okay. If you're going through a rough patch, like, yo, we can talk to each other or we can get you to somebody because th- this whole idea that we have to be strong and brave all the time, I think leads people down paths where it's not healthy. It's not safe um, for them or other individuals that they may run into. Um, so definitely agree with, you know, barbershop as being an example, but obviously of other different avenues that, that we can support one another, um, to make sure that everybody's getting the help that they need. 
all that to kind of get to my next question, which is what is your end goal? What is what is the ultimate goal for Nicole? What, what does that look like? Hmm. Um, let's see. That's a good question. Um, my ultimate goal is to uh, ensure that my community continues to get the help that we deserve. I know we have, you know, a lot of questions. We have a lot of concerns about any type of health that we're receiving um, because, you know, in our communities, we've had some issues. We've had some situations where we've been mistreated or, you know, we've been experimented on and we didn't know about it, all those types of things. And so, um, you know, I want to be able to uh, be a person that people can trust and know that, you know, I have their best interests at heart. And I think that, you know, as we continue um, to share experiences with others, more people will, you know, try to get into therapy or try to, you know, read self-help books or, you know, go in find a coach, whatever it is that they need. Um, my hope is that, you know, people will um, continue to work on themselves because when one person starts healing, the people around them will either start picking up on that and either, you know, distance themselves or they will try to, you know, get therapy too or say, you know, what, what's that book? I noticed it's changing you. What's going on? And so it's contagious when we start healing. Um, so, you know, I, I would love for you know more people to get the help that they deserve. How do people um, become part of your group? Well, Black women become part of your group. Uh, so Black women can join the waitlist. Um, it will be launching this summer. Um, I have a, a waitlist on my website, legacywellnessservices.com. And you can just click on membership and you will join the waitlist. Um, I'm really, really excited about it um, because, you know, like I said, we all deserve access to care. And sometimes we aren't able to pay for therapy or maybe even copays. I don't know about y'all, but my last insurance, my copay was $50. Like why, why am I paying $50? So, you know, that's $50 plus whatever they charge on the back ends. So I have to pay that too. So, you know, um, this, this will be, you know, a low cost thing for people to pay monthly. If they aren't able to see a therapist, there will be a lot of tools in there um, for them to help themselves and to have support from other people who look like them. Um, and it could be for people who just, you know, want extra resources um, because there'll be like, you know, support groups and, you know, webinars and all kinds of things going to get into everything that affects our mental health um, for black women, including hair and all the stuff that will affect our self-esteem. Cause you know, that's real serious uh, with women. If our hair not looking good, then we might not want to go outside. So hey, men too, men too. I got to have a clean cut. <laughs> going nowhere. Right. But then when y'all get that haircut, y'all be trying to go everywhere. <laughs> See like, uh, my, my my barber appointments are set up based on like the social calendar, right? So I had to get in before Easter because you got to look good for the family oh and everything. You go on vacation. So yeah, absolutely, man. Hair's a lot of stress. Hair is a lot of stress. Yeah. So it'll be all kinds of stuff um, in the membership um, that may affect our mental health. Um, I'm really excited about it. But yeah, they can check me out on my website um, or, you know, on my Twitter or TikTok where I talk about it um, at Nicole Lewis LCSW. So you named your business Legacy Wellness. Um, so it's obvious you want to build a legacy. You want to make an impact. Yes. What, um, let's begin with the end in mind. What do you, Nicole, want to be remembered for? 
I want to be remembered um, as someone who did, you know, their very best to ensure that, you know, people found the best version of themselves. Um, I want not just black women, because I, I I want everybody to thrive because a lot of us are in survival mode. Um, but I want everybody to get the help that they deserve. And I want people to to know me as someone who did not give up on that fight. Like, I think that we all deserve quality services. Um, and, you know, in the society that we live in, that's not possible for everybody at this time. But I think if we all made changes, that can happen. Awesome. So a quick fun fact that I think I got right before we, we start wrapping this up. You have experienced uh, physical therapy, have you not? Yes, I have. So tell us about that experience. We always like to hear um, other people's perceptions of physical therapy um, when they're not in the field. You know, obviously us having, us being physical therapists, having a podcast, a lot of our guests are, you know, either physical therapists or Mm -hmm. somehow directly or indirectly related. Last week we had... uh, common person who's experienced physical therapy, absolutely loves physical therapy, has become a big, big um, supporter of it uh, on a very big scale. So I'm definitely very interested to hear, you don't have to go into details, but just your general perception of that experience and Mm -hmm. and the good and what you would change or or want different, um, just as some feedback. Give us the receipts, Nicole. Come on, give us the receipts. <laughs> okay, okay. So let me tell y'all what happened. <laughs> so I was at my brother's house, and he had stairs, and I was just walking up the stairs, and for some reason, my knee started hurting. And I was like, "Am I getting old? Like, why? Why is my knee hurting like this?" Um, and I was actually dropping my daughter off because I was going on vacation, and so when I went on vacation. Every time I sat down and tried to get up, my knee would hurt so bad. But I could walk fine. It was only when I was trying to get up from a seat. And I'm like, this is not normal. Um, but I was like, you know what? I let me go to the doctor because I don't think this is right. I don't think this is just like an age type of thing, because I ain't that old. But um, my doctor referred me to someone um and the cost was outrageous with my copay. I don't have that insurance anymore, by the way. So I ended up going um, to someone to pay out of pocket um, so, you know, they can get all their coins and got to, you know, get insurance to pay them less than what they deserve. So I ended up going to this guy named Jake. I love Jake. Um, he had started a new practice. And so um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to support him because I know what that's like. So I went to see Jake and he was awesome. Um, you know, we did a lot of different things for my knee and he basically told me that, you know, I need to start walking straighter because I guess I walk like that a little bit. Um, and so he said, I need to walk straight, um, or I will continue to have, you know, some knee pain. And so we did a lot of things together. Um, he was very kind. He pushed me, um, but it was definitely necessary. Um, but he would, you know, always check in. Is that okay? Um, you know, do we need to scale back? Was that too much for you? Do you need to get your knee iced today? Um, which was a weird experience, but I liked it. Um, 
but yeah, it it was awesome. We ended up like taking pictures on my last day. Like I really liked him. I really enjoyed it. I thought I was gonna hate it because I was like, people say it hurt, which it did sometimes. But I, every time I went, I could see, you know, I was getting better and better. And I was like, you know what? They own to something. I don't know what this is that they doing, but they doing it. I like this. So, yeah, I encourage anybody to go to physical therapy. Um, Jake told me, you know, if, if something happens, just come on back. Just come on. And so, you know, if my knee start hurting, I'm going to go back. Um, but I'm good right now. He did a great job. So I really like physical therapy. And I will tell anybody, if you if you think something about to start hurting, try to go to physical therapy. <laughs> we appreciate the endorsement, yeah. um, Nicole. Uh uh, again, it's been awesome getting to know you um, and having you on as a guest. We really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do that in, in your busy schedule. Um, you know, definitely very grateful for that. Um, hopefully people have gotten a chance to to get to know the what I'm going to call the the real Nicole. Right. It's easy yeah. Yeah. to get make assumptions off of somebody based off a tweet, a text or, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm. Um, and, and social media is the the wild, wild west. Uh, so to speak. But um, thank you very much. Really do appreciate uh, your time and coming out here. And, and like I said, hopefully people have gotten to understand who you are on a much deeper level and, and to know that what you're trying to do is is something positive um, and, and not necessarily taking away from anybody else's journey, but it's just helping mm -hmm. those um, that specifically need your help and, and you're able to provide it in a very specific way to to provide the most value and impact on their lives so so definitely thank you very much it's my honor thank you for having me having me thank you you're welcome have a great night everybody and don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel and uh listen to us on apple Podcasts. and get on nicole's waitlist if you're a black woman <laughs> trying to get better and being less perfect yes absolutely thank you all right, everybody have a good night again. Thank you very much for all of our faithful followers, subscribers. Really appreciate you guys. Um, download, share this episode. Let's blow it up. Let's get Nicole going viral in a much more positive way. Uh, but again, thank you, everybody. And everybody have a wonderful evening. Thank you.